0: Huh. This growler didn't make a very good noise when I opened it, so... Sorry about our (laughs) lack of theme song this week. Chris isn't here to drink another beer with me. Although, if he was here, we'd probably just share this growler, because I'm probably not going to drink an entire 64 ounces of beer in one setting. I mean... Not for lack of trying, mind you. Right, yeah, you know. I'm just drinking other stuff, too. Uh, Which brings us to... The introductions let's actually do that first for once, huh? Anyways, my name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. Welcome once again to Drink to the Past. Or if you're here for the first time, then welcome for the first time to Drink to the Past. Where have you been all my life? You sexy hunk (coughs) of podcast listener. Uh or something. (laughs) And this is my guest for the week, not Chris. Hello, I'm not Chris. Yes. That's that's his name and will henceforth be referred to as not Chris. Right? It does start with a C, though. Yeah, it does start with a C. Not Chris starts with a C. Yeah. The not is silent. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, (laughs) this is Crow. If you haven't heard his voice in a while, he hasn't been on the podcast. It's uh, been a little bit since you were on last, so uh, welcome back. Yeah, Yeah. I think it was since last year. Wow, it might have been. All right. Well, it's Crow's fault that I'm drinking something stupid this week. Well, it might be my fault because I started this stupid conversation on Twitter. Basically, I uh, came up with this idea when I was sitting in my bus because basically I have a short amount of time between one school that I drop off or, and then another school in my morning part of my route as a school bus driver. Uh, and if nothing interesting is happening to read on Twitter, then I literally just sit there for about 10 minutes and think of stupid things to tweet. And this was one of them. I, I tweeted something along the lines of wanting to be able to make a taco into a drink, uh, so that I could drink and eat tacos at the same time. And Crow, of course, had to call me out and be like, hold on, you got to do that on the podcast now. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I have my, yep. uh, taco shot here. Which is going to be pretty awkward. So uh, I uh, basically just cooked up some chorizo, melted some cheese, threw it in a cup uh, with a tortilla chip to mimic the shell, and filled the rest of a shot glass with tequila. So chorizo cheese, tequila, and tortilla chip. That uh, can't possibly go wrong, right? Sounds nasty just listening to it. Yeah, I'm like, how do I do this? Do I drink all the chunks? I guess I mean, this the, is, would probably yeah, have been easier in a blender, but I was like, I don't have a blender and I don't want to get my entire food processor out and dirty and stuff just for one shot, right? So I'm just like, okay, so I'm just going to dump everything in a glass and mash it with the back end of my spoon. And, uh,. For uh that- <laughs> This could have been better thought out, but that's why this part of the show is called Sean drinks something stupid instead of Sean drinks an interesting and unique cocktail. (laughs) So uh, uh, it's interesting. It is interesting. It's unique. Yeah. So uh, uh, bottoms up for me. Huh. Hmm. That was weird. (laughs) Ooh. The tequila really makes that chorizo a lot spicier. That's weird. Hmm. Is this better or worse than kale? Uh, Still better than kale. Um, <laughs> surprising amount of tortilla chip flavor in there. I I did not expect that. You don't get a lot of the meaty flavor from the chorizo. It's mostly just the spice, which is for some reason heightened by the uh, tequila. Well, it's the acid. I guess. That makes sense, probably. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm an idiot who drinks things on a podcast. I just drank a taco. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, you know that's not the worst thing I've drunk on this podcast huh? still, still better than Indeed. last year's uh, terrible experiment I tried where I had random Facebook and Twitter suggestions of stuff to put into a cocktail and I got like uh, peanut butter steak, three kinds of whiskey uh, soy sauce, all kind of weird stuff that, that was that was terrible. And oh, this, I remember that. Yeah, you were there. Uh, this was not as bad as that. And maybe not even as bad as some of the beers I've drank. I don't know. It's like you get a little bit of the uh, kind of agave flavor in there. And then a lot of tortilla chip. Which is weird. But um, okay. I don't know. Next time it's going to be done right. hmm Yeah, I don't know. It's like for a spicy and salty kind of uh, flavor. It's like, eh. I give it a five on my scale of three to seventeen. Crow, what you drinking today?
1: I am doing something completely interesting, new, very different.
0: Water. Wow, that's not alcohol. I have no alcohol. (laughs) Okay, well that's okay, but that does mean that I have to invoke a special rule of drink to the past. Uh, which is because my guest is not drinking, I have to drink extra. So hold on, Uh, talk to the guests for a second, like plug yourself while I get another shot. Okay,
1: Uh, well, I'm trying to work on some stuff on YouTube, so I might have some interesting things. If you guys are interested in Zelda, which I would assume you are, given the name of the podcast. Uh, But yeah, we'll plug that at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned to the end.
0: Alright, Yeah. and with that, I have got my bottle of tequila back, so now I can have an extra shot of tequila, because that's one of the rules that doesn't come up much, but every now and then I have a guest that's like, I don't want to drink, and I'll be like, that's eh, okay, I'll drink for you, so uh, this shot's for you, Crow. What you drinking? Espolon Tequila Blanco. It's not the best tequila in the world, but it's got a picture of a skeleton on the bottle, and the skeleton is riding a giant rooster into battle. So I bought it basically because of the bottle artwork. It's pretty badass. Uh, The tequila itself is, like, fine. Um, I don't know. I'm not big on tequila, so it's like I haven't... I, I don't feel like I have much to compare it against, but, like, it's fine. I'll give it a 10. Nice average tequila, and it wasn't very expensive. So if you're looking for the decent middle-of-the-road tequila, El Espolón is uh, not a bad one. Anyways, okay, so let's see. Look at my notes here. Sean drinks something stupid. A taco. Sean drinks a fucking taco. News and booze. All right, here we are. The best <laughs> part of the show, as far as I know. Uh, so now that we've got our boozing out of the way, uh, actually, I guess I can introduce our beer of the week, uh, because my beer that I'm going to be beering with the rest of the podcast is um, back to stout month, which ended last month, but uh, I decided to... You know, accidentally continue an it another couple of weeks because uh, we missed one week in stout month, and I felt bad, and I love stout anyway. Uh, this is one of my favorite stouts. Um, this is Golden City Brewery. There's a nice little local place here in Colorado. Um, we call this one Lookout Stout, uh, named after Lookout Mountain, which is uh, right up the hill in Golden, Colorado from me. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a really, really good oatmeal stout. This is basically (laughs) the reason I started drinking. Uh, when I turned 21, it was kind of an interesting story. I'd actually been going to Golden City Brewery for a while. My brother had, uh, uh, worked there for probably a year or two. And over the course of, uh, two or three years, I had been going there to the chili cook-off every year and entering my chili and they gave you gift certificates if you won. But I couldn't drink. So I just hoarded all these gift certificates. And then when I turned 21, I had like 100 bucks or 150 bucks of free beer. Jeez. And so I learned to drink beer just by going into the Golden City Brewery like every day for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, That's all do. yeah, this is one of their go-tos. Um, uh, really, really good oatmeal stout. Mm-hmm recipe's a little different from how it was back then, but not not too different. I feel like there's a larger coffee flavor from it now than there once was. Um, but still, I like the coffee flavor, so that, that works out. Oh. Ah. Nice malty, roasty, badass beer. Uh, we're giving that a 15 out of 17. All right, now on to... News and Booze. Uh, So News and Booze is the part of the show where we talk about booze and the video gaming news. And occasionally tabletop news, but somehow tabletop news doesn't get across my stream very much. Uh, Anyways, uh, CD Projekt Red announces their next game after Cyberpunk 2077 will be a new Witcher game. But it's not going to be a direct sequel, and it's not going to be called Witcher 4. Uh, Have you heard about that, Crow?
1: I did. I saw the news. I mean, I think it'll be
0: fine. Yeah, um, I haven't actually played any of the Witcher games. I've been meaning to get Witcher 3 for a while. Like, since it came to Switch, I've been like, okay, I should get it because it's on Switch now. But then I'm like, oh, it's like way cheaper on PS4, so maybe I should do that. So, I don't know. Eventually, it's Ah. one of those games that's totally on my radar and I totally want to get into, but uh, just haven't ended up having the chance for that. Um, (laughs) I have it on PC. I just haven't played it yet. Right. Um, So I was kind of hoping you'd have a little bit of knowledge or experience with that because I was wondering if it's going to be a new Witcher game but it's not going to be a direct sequel and it's not called The Witcher 4. I was wondering if Geralt would be the protagonist at all or if it would be another Witcher or something like that. I thought there's... I think there's a lot of potential there just from what I know from watching the Netflix series, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. So... uh, I don't know, though. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Red would be a better person to ask. Say that again? Red would
1: be a better person to
0: ask. Yeah. Uh, one of these days I'll get Red on here. He never is available on Fridays usually, and Hick too. I've been trying to get them both on since I started this podcast. So shout out to the two guys playing Zelda. If you're listening, come on my podcast, Damn it
1: um, Do it another day
0: yeah um actually that's not a terrible idea because actually i'm accidentally off for the next two weeks because of coronavirus so uh oh, yeah so yeah i'll probably maybe have a day to actually like switch up the day and be like hey yeah let's get hick and red on here that'll be fun okay um next piece of news and booze uh doom 64 which we know is releasing pretty soon here Uh, Same day as Doom Eternal on other consoles, and I think Switch as well. I think the Switch version of Doom 64 is the same time, but not the Switch version of Doom Eternal, which is kind of a bummer. But anyways, Doom 64 will have a new extra chapter that's never been released before, and on the Switch version, we'll have motion aiming controls. Uh, So I think that's pretty cool, because I've never actually played Doom 64 anyways, Um, and so to see that it's not only getting the port finally for literally, this is going to be the first not Nintendo 64 release of this game ever. And plus it's Mm -hmm. also getting like the full upgrade treatment for motion controls. I think that's pretty cool. And, uh, new chapter. I'm always cool with extra doom. More doom is good. Did
1: did you pre-order doom through Google GameStop?
0: Um, I did did. i am pretty sure if not then i will go in and do that because you because you kay. get doom 64 for free if you pre-order uh doom eternal right correct yeah so do you guys give out codes for that or something i was kind of wondering how that worked
1: yeah it'll just print out on your receipt oh okay cool <clears throat> all right so, that's
0: pretty neat yeah um, so, And even if you're not interested in Doom Eternal or something, Doom 64 is going to be five bucks. So I think that's worth it just for the doominess of that. Uh, next piece of news and booze, Horizon Zero Dawn is coming to PC. I think that's kind of interesting, because this is one of the first times that like a big AAA first-party Sony game has ever been ported, I think. Because uh, there's like some big second-party stuff like Final Fantasy that's got, you know, wherever, wherever nowadays. But uh, <clears throat> I think it's kind of interesting that a big title like this that is produced all in-house by Sony is uh, kind of moving on to PC. Uh, what do you think about that? From,
1: from my understanding, that was, that's was that been the plan for a while. It's that they wanted to bring Horizon to PC.
0: Uh uh-huh. um, um, Just because I've seen
1: how much money Xbox is making
0: right yeah i don't know i hadn't heard about that specifically but um i i haven't been keeping up with horizon zero dawn news and then i feel like this kind of caught a little bit of traction because it's like a surprising amount of people are like uh but heard about it because they're like yeah it was a ps4 exclusive now i have no reason to own a ps4 because one of the exclusive games is now on pc i'm like what the hell is wrong with that like no, you're, it can't you're be not gonna easy. sell your ps4 because it's available on pc now right are you i don't know if you are then you don't <laughs> <laughs> if you are i'll take it right <laughs> i'll give you five bucks for your ps4 yeah yeah um so yeah i think this is just kind of a weird thing that people are all pissed off about but i also feel like most of the time when people are pissed off about video games it's stupid Um, Yeah. I don't know. I see it as, like, a pretty smart move on Sony's part to just kind of broaden their audience, get a little extra on there, because I feel like whatever... I feel like most of the sales for this game on PS4 have already happened, right? It's three years old. It's it's had its time in the sun. Like, nobody's talking about this game anymore, pretty much. I mean, it'll come up every now and then, but, like, it's not a topic of conversation anymore and now it's going to be again and you know people who are itching to play it again might jump in on pc again you know i, I feel like it's a big enough game that the fans of it will be willing to double dip in a lot of cases which i'm not gonna because i still haven't even beat the ps4 version but uh yeah
1: it's
0: a good I just game. And the modding community is gonna be like yeah i'm just happy to see like more people are gonna play good games i'm like i don't think anything's wrong with that all right, moving on, Super Mario Legos. <laughs> like, is there anything else to say other than fuck yeah? Why? Why not?
1: Like, I get why. Wait, right? I don't know. why?
0: I don't know, I'm kind of, like, curious about it from the trailer, because it looks a little different from, like, regular Legos. Because it's like Mario has like light up parts and it looks like he's got like an amiibo reader or something in him. So he knows when he jumps on an enemy or hits a question block. So it looks like it's actually making almost like a board game out of it or something. Which is kind of crazy. I think it looks pretty cool. And I don't know, I'm just a big fan of Legos. And Nintendo finally teaming up with Lego to make something kind of just gives me hope that eventually I'll get like a 9,000 piece Hyrule Castle.
1: Maybe. I mean, it's definitely a long time coming for Nintendo to partner with Lego.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm almost surprised that didn't happen, like, you know, 20 years ago. Right? Doesn't this seem like this is a no-brainer? Like, this is going to sell, like, fucking hotcakes? Yeah. I mean, Mario sells, like, hotcakes, and Mario sells, like, hotcakes. So putting them two together is like selling hotcakes wrapped in bacon, dipped in maple syrup, and deep-fried that sounds fucking great.
1: I've never had that? a hot
0: cake. Or unless it's like a pancake. Yeah, a pancake.
1: Okay. Same. same then, yes, I've had those.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's just that that sounds really awesome or if that's just the tequila talking, but either way, you know. <laughs> mm. All right. So, you're going to buy all these Super Mario Legos every single set? No. Okay. I might buy some of them. I I like doing Legos with my kids now. I think it's a – and I think Mario is a really cool kind of a thing that I like to share with my kids also. So I'm really excited about that because I'm a guy with kids. Um, I'm I'm not not sure if I would be as excited though if I didn't have kids because it's like it's mostly going to be a thing I do with my kids and then I just let them play with it. And that's going to be basically it. You know, I'm gonna like help them assemble all of it, and probably help them reassemble it once it's been broken the first seven or eight thousand times. <laughs> and then I'm just gonna be like, okay, we're putting all the pieces back in the Lego box, and you guys can just assemble it with whatever piece you want. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. And the last piece of news and booze, um, E3 is canceled. <clears throat> shocker actually a lot of yeah. things were canceled e3 is kind of the latest in a whole string of things uh packs was canceled the game developer conference was canceled um e3 i think is a little more surprising because not just of how big it is because obviously it's really big and if it was happening like soon then i wouldn't be as surprised but it's like three months out but i feel like there's maybe a little more behind the scenes that we're not totally privy to because also like right before they announced that e3 was canceled the uh basically the creative director for the e3 show floor announced on twitter hey i'm quitting so (laughs) like (laughs) they might have been in a really crappy position anyways because he'd only worked there for a month and they only have a few more months to get you know all their stuff ready in theory so maybe taking a year off would be okay i don't I don't know and maybe e3 is done i also don't know right it's possible so i don't know i like e3 i like watching it every year and you know it's just that one time of the year where you can always you know guarantee that there's going to be some kind of thing because it's like a nintendo direct comes along every now and then or a sony thing or a, a new console announcement and it's like you get that same hype level But I feel like E3 is, like, you know it's going to be there, and that hype level is there for, like, not just your one or two favorite people, but, like, everybody in the gaming industry has something cool to show. Right? So, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of sad that E3 is canceled. I'm expecting, kind of like most people seem to be speculating, that, like, Sony and Nintendo and basically everybody is just going to do, like, a Nintendo Direct-ish thing. Uh, you know, like a Pretty State much. Play, a Direct, or what, whatever Xbox does. I don't know. Some kind of digital, like, hey, here's our shit. So right about the same time E3 would happen anyway. I'm kind of hoping that's the case, just to kind of, you know, keep that hype train going uh, and mm-hmm. hopefully bring back E3 bigger and better next year if that's possible. But if not, then I'll have a, you know, drink to E3 next year. Maybe. Mmm, all right. Well, that's the news and booze. <clears throat> so moving on to our next topic is our video game topic. Woohoo, We love video games. Um, you don't say. Yeah. I, I do say. I did say that just now. Weren't you listening? <laughs> Whoa. No. Oh. Well, go home. You're drunk. Oh.
1: Right. <laughs> Got to lay off the- that water. It
0: really gets me. It <laughs> knocks me on my ass. Yeah. Come on, man. She drank something lighter like Corona. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> yeah. I drank a Corona on the podcast last week trying to go viral. It, uh, I don't think it worked. We're, we're still a pretty small no. podcast. So don't forget to share and subscribe if you think our weird uh, whatever we're doing <laughs> is hilarious. Then, you know, tell your friends. Be like, hey, these guys talk about weird shit and drink beer all day. It's, it's great. Indeed. You should use exactly those words. That's the kind of people we're looking for, is the kind of people that are going to be like, I like weird shit and drinking beer. So the video game topic this week is in honor of good old St. Patrick's Day, which is coming up on Tuesday. Um, I had my first two St. Patrick's Day gigs of the year, uh, already playing bagpipes for a few hours earlier today. Uh, So I'm all in the St. Patrick's Day mood. Uh, One of my gigs was at Golden City Brewery, which is why I got this lovely beer. And it's great. Um, so uh, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we're going to be talking about the best green video games of all time. By which I mean we're just going to fucking praise Zelda for an hour because Zelda is like the greenest yeah. of video. Like is I guess as long as we're on the topic, we could go, is there another good green video game? I guess you can make an argument for Yoshi. But
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: Luigi maybe? I don't know. But Luigi's solo games are not very green. Like, he's green amidst a background of dark and creepy stuff. Yeah. So, I'm not sure that counts. Um, Yoshi, you could count, but uh, not quite as epic as Zelda. So, uh, yeah. Indeed. All hail the almighty greenest of them all. Uh, Zelda. So, what's your favorite Zelda game, Crow?
1: we discussed this before, but It was really close between Breath of the Wild and Ocarina of Time, but Mm -hmm. I had to settle with Breath of the Wild. All right. And my roommate is playing it right now, and it's just reaffirming for me that it is Breath of the Wild.
0: Yeah. I kind of had that uh, myself, Um, and each time I go back to either one or the other, it still kind of invokes this feeling of, like, am I sure? (laughs) Because I'm I'm Mm kind of the... Uh, Same way, but opposite, because it's really close for me, but Ocarina of Time still edges out Breath of the Wild just a little bit. Give me 10. Yeah. I don't know. You'll break. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I do fucking love open worlds, and I feel like Zelda was just like. They did it right. Begging for an open world for so long, and then, yeah, they did it as right as you can. Uh. It's my favorite open-world game. Um, well, actually, I guess technically my favorite open-world game now is Octopath Traveler, because that's kind of open-world. It's kind of a weird take on open-world, though, because it's like you can go anywhere, but for the most part, you like you kind of go where your chapters are for what level you are. So.
1: And here I thought you were going to say Death Stranding.
0: Death Stranding is really high up there, but I don't like it as well as Breath of the Wild. Um, Okay. Because Death Stranding is great. It really hits the same exploration notes that Breath of the Wild does. Because the two of them, I feel like, are such great games because exploring is the game. Uh, cause in Death Stranding, you're kind of, you know, just getting from one place to another. The world is your obstacle. Uh, you're having to balance all these packages, move across weird terrain, you know, maybe build bridges or stuff to get from one point to another. Uh, and then, you know, occasionally fight monsters or bandits or stuff. Uh, Breath of the Wild is kind of the same thing, where the world is your obstacle for most of it, but it's also got some pretty solid dungeons in there. I'm one of the weird guys that actually likes the Divine Beasts pretty well. I get, like, most of the complaints that it's like, yeah, they are pretty short, and they all kind of have the same theme, which is a little lame, but, like, design-wise, I think they're all four pretty great. Um... And then you get all the shrines as well. And just those mini dungeons with the puzzle solving and stuff is just screams Zelda and also just adds another little layer on top of that. And also I just like the combat better in breath of the wild. Uh, yes. As opposed to death stranding. Cause Death stranding has good combat. Uh, and what I really think was cool was kind of how it introduced combat so slowly. Cause like it's literally like 10 hours in before you get your first weapon. And then you're like, oh, I can fight the BTs now? That's crazy! Because you've just been, like, figuring out how to navigate around them or uh, get away from them, uh, which brought a lot of cool elements to that, too. Because, like, if they, like, you know, started trying to pull you into the tar and stuff and then you dropped all your cargo, then you, you got away and the BT kind of disappears after a little while but then you got to sneak back close to it again to pick up all your cargo that you <laughs> dropped. Uh so that that really made some really epic sequences. Um so I think combat was handled really well in that, but it just didn't quite feel as epic as, you know, shield bashing and flurry rushing and just all the diversity of monsters in Breath of the Wild, which is kind of weird cuz for a Zelda game, it's not very diverse. As far as number of unique enemies, but mm-hmm. its I feel every one of them is unique enough that it still just feels really diverse, right? You get a Hinox versus a Talus versus a Moblin versus any one of the bosses. Uh, you know, any, or every single, right, or a fucking Lionel, yeah, right? Every enemy in this entire game feels unique. And then sometimes they'll do unique things when they're next to each other, like a Hinox, if he comes next to a Guardian, then the Hinox will fucking punch out the Guardian. <laughs> you know, Moblins will throw blins at you. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, you are, you're murdering your friends in an attempt to murder me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh. So I still, I did you, um, did you fight the Molduga?
0: I did. Um, Molduga, I thought was really cool. Uh, because you got a I kind found of him on accident. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I found most things in that game on accident because I, I didn't always have a plan. I was always just kind of meandering sort of vaguely in the direction I needed to go, but mostly yeah. just like, hey, something on the horizon catches my eye, whether it's a shrine or a tower or just some random weird thing that like, oh, that peak looks weird up there. I'm going to climb it up. I'm gonna There's, there's a strange looking out of place stone. I'm going to go find a Korok seed under it, maybe. Uh, Which is kind of surprising, like how many times you thought, oh, this would be a perfect place for a Korok seed, and then it wasn't. And you're like, are you sure there's 900 hidden here? I keep popping (laughs) up every rock and they're not under there. (sighs) Some of those, those are also hidden really well sometimes. But they're not hidden like so ridiculously well that you won't get enough of them to like upgrade your equipment through the game. So I think it's a clever balance. Yeah, they were done well. Yeah. And then if you want to get all 900, you can go for it. And if you don't, then, you know, who cares? All right. So I think that's uh, collectibles done pretty well. I don't know if it's the best collectibles ever. Because there is just kind of a lot of them. And it's kind of annoying that after, like, the first 500, then they stop mattering because you can't upgrade your equipment or your inventory anymore. I think that's kind of lame. That it's like, okay, now the next 400 do literally nothing. Until you get... Well, it also gets exponentially harder to find them. Right, yeah, because you're just, like, looking at every little corner that you haven't been to on your map, and you're like, where is it? Put on the Korok mask and just wander. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, uh... What about Ocarina of Time do you like, though? Because you said that was really close up there, and that one's my favorite. So what's your favorite thing about Ocarina of Time?
1: It's a combination of the music and the story for me. Uh Oh. Like, it was written as such, like, a big epic, like an Odyssey-style, you know, grand tale. And it was was enrapturing. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like, right from the get-go, I feel like it's just kind of capturing you in the world and what's going on, even though you don't necessarily know exactly what's going on for a little while, because, like, the first cutscene is like, okay, here's Ganondorf riding out of the flames, what's going on there, he's the bad guy, I guess, and then a fairy comes out of nowhere, and it's like, hey, go save this tree, and you're like, oh uh, okay. <laughs> but there's such a cool little culture around this tree that it's all these little children living in the forest that, like, worship the tree or are his children or it's like, yeah it's kind of ambiguous, but it's neat anyway. It's like, oh, cool, little forest children. That's, that's fine. Um, and then you go and you find the tree and then, like, as soon as you're done with the first dungeon, he's like, Oh, uh, I'm going to die now. Uh, That guy you saw in your dream is a bad guy. Go kill him and find the princess. And you're like, what? No, my dad tree just died. Uh, You know, it's like every step of the way, there's something interesting happening. Um, And you get into the story real quick, and it stays interesting the whole way through, which I feel like is... Not always a thing in some games where sometimes it like the story seems to drag on too long or it takes too long to get into it. That's kind of been my problem lately. I've been playing the Dragon Quest XI demo and I feel like it just takes a long time to get into anything because it's like keeps giving me like little hints of something interesting that's going to happen later, but it I'm like four hours in and pretty much nothing has happened. So I'm like. When, when is the game going to start? <laughs>
1: uh, one of the nice things about Ocarina 2 is that like, it, the story is relatively linear. Yeah. So you can start it and just go from the start to end and always have something to do. But you can also stop, and there's tons of stuff in the world, little side missions and minigames and shit for you to do.
0: Yeah. Um, I love it. And one of the things, too, I like about Ocarina of Time, one of my favorite things, is that even though it is pretty much straight up one of the most linear zelda games it feels open which is not like something that can be said for most linear games right it's like mo- like again i'm going to reference the dragon quest demo where it's literally you have a path and you start on one end of the path and they go to the other end of the path and there's some interesting stuff in the middle but there's literally one exit and one entrance to every area you ever go in, as far as I've played, anyway. Um, and I feel like that's kind of my problem with most linear games, is it's like, okay, what what's the point? I, I see immediately where to go. There's no questioning it. It's like, that's kind of boring to me. But Ocarina of well, Time kind of points you in the right direction of where the story's going to go, but it's like there's all these other things that you could do at any time as well. Like, right when you get out of Kokiri Forest, you're like, okay, here's the hub world. You got your uh, uh, Lake Hylia. You can go fishing. You got Kakariko. You can go collect chickens. You can go to the main storyline in the castle. You can go to um, Gerudo Valley and get kicked out. That's not very interesting. <coughs> There's not much to do over there. But Or you can go and visit the farm and check out the side quests there. So you've got, like, a lot of... Interesting, diverse things to do relative to its day and age. Like nowadays it's like, okay, you're in an open world game, there's fifteen side quests right in the starting town, right? But for what I feel like that all kind of stemmed off of Ocarina of Time, too. Is like, okay, you're out of the tutorial basically. Uh here's the world. Uh have at. There's tons of stuff to do. It also was also a bunch that, of little things. Yeah. And it also helped that I feel like the tutorial in Ocarina of Time didn't feel like a tutorial. Like, the Deck Uh of Tree is very much a tutorial dungeon, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel too hand-holdy. It doesn't feel like it's telling you a new mechanic every five seconds. It's like... As soon as you get your first few items, it's kind of a little bit dialogue-heavy of, like, equip this in the subscreen and go and put it on C and push C to take it out and push C to use it and hold C to do this. It's like, okay. But, like, after you get past, like, that with your first... You're only going to get three items in the dungeon anyway, so it's, like, not that bad. You get your slingshot, you get your Deku Sticks, and you get your Deku Seeds somewhere around... The f- somewhere in the first dungeon probably, 9 times out of 10 you can technically skip the sticks and the nuts, but you probably won't if you're killing all the enemies
1: right. um,
0: and then like, you're going and it, it doesn't really tell you what to do pretty much ever, other than those specific instances where it's just telling you how to equip and use items right? and uh-huh. like Navi tells you how to push blocks and open doors and, and that's the entire tutorial. And the rest of the dungeon just feels like an actual fucking dungeon. And it's great. I feel and you like, gotta figure it out. Yeah, I feel like every Zelda game should do that. That should be how the tutorial works. It's just a dungeon that's like, here's how to equip. You're in a dungeon. Have fun. <laughs> Let him figure it out himself. Put in cool puzzles. There was actually some yeah. cool puzzles in that one too. I feel like the dungeon design also is one of those things that just puts Ocarina of Time at the top for me because I feel like the dungeon design has never been better and probably never will be better in any video game ever.
1: I'd have to sit down and compare them now to think about it.
0: Because mm. I just really love the dungeon design in Ocarina of Time. All of them feel large. All of them feel you know epic they've got multiple layers I feel like they use 3D space better than any other 3D Zelda game Um, maybe oddly with the exception of A Link Between Worlds I think you could make an argument there because A Link Between Worlds takes the 3D space and uses it in a totally different way because it's still kind of presenting you the game in a 2D uh, form but it's still utilizing that 3D space and doing so differently with the wall merging mechanics so you can actually go like outside of things and wrap around odd <clears> corners <throat> that you wouldn't be able to in other kind of Zelda games. So I feel like if there's any 3D space that's used better, you could make an argument. I, I, I still would put Ocarina of Time at the top myself, but you could make an argument.
1: I think in terms of mechanics... A Link Between Worlds is the most creative of all the Zelda games.
0: Yeah, because everything is, or at least a lot of the things, are kind of based off of this 3D, 2D thing that it's doing. Because it's like... Hello? Yes, I can hear you, Crow. Can you hear me now? Check my Discord here. John? Yes?
1: I'm here. Mr. Man of Spam.
0: Huh. Well, this is weird that you can't hear me, and I can hear you, Hello. and we're all live on the podcast. I don't know so I if this is
1: coming through or not, so I'm just going to keep talking and ruin your podcast because I'm an asshole.
0: Oh, you asshole.
1: Oh, hey. There it is.
0: Hey, there it is.
1: <laughs> how, how much of that did you hear?
0: All of it. Oh, cool. Yeah, you, you, you never cut out for me. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> were you just fucking I with me? I can't
1: wait to that back. <laughs> no, I couldn't hear you.
0: Okay, that's funny. Okay, yeah, I was like, just like Crow, I'm here. What the hell are you talking about? You're interrupting me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, but yeah, I got my point across.
0: All right. Yeah. Link between worlds is good. Um, and Ocarina of time is just so great. Um, yeah. What's uh? What's your favorite Zelda game? In terms of music,
1: I think we were talking about this on the TGPZ Discord the other day.
0: Yeah, it was a, like last week or something. I think this came up. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I would have to sit down and think about it, but I'm pretty torn between Ocarina and Wind Waker. Yeah. But I think as a whole, I would probably have to choose Ocarina.
0: Okay, now that's another interesting one where we kind of differ, because I would definitely say Wind Waker. Um, because I feel like both soundtracks, uh, and really most Zelda soundtracks just really, really work for what they're doing in their own respective games. Uh, but I feel yeah. like there's more standout tunes in Wind Waker than any other game. Um, but on the other hand, it's a much bigger game than Ocarina of Time. So, you know, it could just be that there's, you know, more tunes. So more of them stand out. I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't know, like, uh, a lot of Ocarina of Time's music I really like, but there's only a couple of tunes that I would really go super far and say, like, this is one of the best Zelda tracks, like the Spirit Temple theme and the Forest Temple theme I definitely put up there. Um, Ganon's Tower, like, coming up when he's playing the organ and stuff, uh, that's a really great theme. Gerudo Valley. Um, and that's that's most of it, you know, every, every other theme is good, but those are like the great ones. But like, I feel like almost every tune in wind waker is that level, right? Where, um, <clears throat> you got like the mulgara battle theme. A lot of the battle themes are just really great. The helmet rock King battle theme. Yeah, I love the yes. phantom Ganon battle theme, how it just kind of intensifies as you're getting combos with your sword and stuff. That's so cool. Um, and then uh, you know the final Ganondorf battle theme, uh, and then even just some of the town themes are so great. Dragon Roost Island and Windfall and Outset all just have this totally unique characteristic that really brings you into that world a step further than I feel anything in Ocarina of Time did. Uh, yeah, not to you say know, that. Yeah, cause, I'm a step back. Yeah, because I I love Ocarina of Time's music, but I would absolutely give it to Wind Waker for. For that one. I'm going to give you two. I agree. <clears throat>
1: I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to say the windbreak is better. Oh, one. man. So, point for you.
0: Woohoo! I win. You may drink. I, w- I will drink to that. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. And with that, I will refill my beer a little because I'm getting low. Um, what's your favorite beer to pair with The Legend of Zelda?
1: Uh, the one that I could drink. So most of them? <laughs> yeah. For pretty much anything, I'm not picky.
0: Right. Um, I actually Bye. wrote an article about this, the top five beers to pair with The Legend of Zelda. Um, <laughs> actually, um, I don't think this stout was one of them, but I think uh, I did something from Golden City Brewery. I think I said they're barley wine. They have a really good barley wine. Um. Mm. Uh, barley wines, I feel, I, th- I think my barley wine was actually at the top of the list, um, because barley wines are a particularly good pairing with The Legend of Zelda, because I, I kind of made, like, this argument for everything that I suggested before that, like, oh, this is a perfectly balanced beer for a perfectly balanced series that's got the greatest possible balance of fighting combat puzzles exploration and every other thing you could like in gameplay it's perfectly balanced <laughs> you know it's it's all kind of cheesy answers like that but with the barley mm. wine it's like okay this is balanced it's epic it's strong as hell and uh it, it's like it fits every one of those categories so uh i drink barley wines with my legend not not all the time. I I don't always have a barley wine. No no not a lot of breweries make a barley wine. It's uh, Golden City only makes them uh, like I think uh, as a seasonal. So that's the only one that I know makes a regular one. Um, I've seen them from other ones occasionally, just like as a hey we did a one off or something like that. But uh, the the only one that regularly has one is still only seasonal in that Golden City Brewery. At least around here. But I'll also pair pretty much any other beer with Legend of Zelda, let's be fucking honest. (laughs) Beer is beer. Yeah.
1: How many other repeat guests have you had? Or like on the scale of me.
0: Um, let's see. Peyton's come back several times. My brother Josh came on, uh, twice. Um, then I think that's, I think that's about it for repeat guests. We've had... I don't know. I'm trying to think if there is anybody else. Yeah, my buddy Peyton came on a couple of times. I've been meaning to get other people on who have come on. I uh, Sebastian that came on last year for our E3 betting special. I've been trying to get him <coughs> on, but then, you know, stuff came up with him, and, you know, he's got other stuff going on in his personal life. And I haven't asked him in a while, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll yeah. hit him up next time. Uh, check out his podcast, Hidden Pixels. It's kind of neat. Um, yeah. You could also ask your wife. Oh yeah, I could ask my wife to come That's on the true. podcast. Hi, wife. Hello. You my drop wife. in that one again anyway. Yep. Yep. Whenever want... I'm done with watching
1: TikTok videos that are pointless.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> I, I feel like the point of TikTok is to make it as pointless as possible. So uh, you wanna you wanna drink some taco? Um. Yeah, no, I'm so. gonna eat this wrap thingy. Okay, wraps are just like what white people invented because we were jealous of burritos. I'm pretty sure. Mmm. Probably, I'm pretty sure that's how that happened. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have you gotten Lyle on the podcast yet? Um I've talked to him about it once or twice, but I, I should really get him on here. Yeah, let me remind me to message him and be like, "Hey, get on the podcast, you," because that'd be fun. Okay. Um. Yeah. Anyways, is there anything else you want to say about uh, Zelda while we're on here? Or my wife is on the podcast now, so she could talk about zelda it's well good. i've
1: got a good so I segue to the next segment oh do you uh how well or like how would you make a zelda-based D campaign would you just rip a game or would you pick a point in the timeline
0: um you know actually i've got uh, a couple of different thoughts on that um um we actually played a session with one of our guests was, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, gosh, it's been a while ago since he was on. He was a cool guy. Um, it was one of the, uh, co-creators of a tabletop system called, uh, Brain Fart. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't that, that Hold on. Ah, gosh. Now I feel stupid You're a brain because fart. I'm like, I really loved playing his system and I, uh, Elemental Knight was his name, um, and he was uh, one of the designers of something wild, something, some. Anyways, it's a Zelda RPG. Go, go check us out. Reclaim the Wild. That was what it was called. Um, and he kind of had a cool take on it because his system was basically, it was like all a lot of Zelda references within it, but it kind of mostly revolved around the idea that you were playing in the breath of the wild world and so he had a really cool kind of uh plot hook for us that like my character was this gerudo princess who was lost at a young age and raised by gorons uh so i was like kind of going on goron walkabout not being sure what to do with myself when i found out i was a princess and i'm like uh, yeah, I'm just going to go on adventures until I understand my place in the world. I don't feel like I can lead a tribe of Gerudos without understanding, uh, you know, a little more about the world and a little bit more about myself. And so I went on walkabout, uh, with, uh, Chris's character, who was some kind of caster. I think he was a Hylian. Um, or maybe he was a, I think he was a Hylian. hey anyways, so we're—he uh, starts us basically right outside of Gerudo's Gerudo Valley in Breath of the Wild, and we kind of wander through the desert for a little while and find a little uh, dried-up oasis that we uh, were kind of sent to investigate a little bit too. And it's like it's dried up, but this is like where the uh, main water source came from for the. Uh, whole region so we're like okay we're gonna go find this out and then we kind of ended up kind of scooting into a dungeon there uh and it was it was a really cool experience so i think that's a really cool way to do it is if you're going to um like pick a game world and then put the players Mm -hmm. in that world and then maybe Take a little bit of creative liberty and add a dungeon or something like that, uh, or a you know a plot hook that you know maybe doesn't necessarily have to be a hundred percent in line with the game, so that you can kind of mm-hmm. create your own thing with it. But kind of putting it in that world really, I think, uh, brought an extra level of familiarity immediately to the gameplay, where it's like okay, I've you know wandered all around this place in the game. I know totally what he's talking about when he's describing all this stuff. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool way to approach that.
1: Um, so, not counting Breath of the Wild, what would your top three Zelda games be for like using their worlds for a D&D campaign?
0: Hmm. That is an interesting one. Um... My first thought is Wind Waker, just because it's kind of big and open. And I feel like you could kind of take that uh, map and then kind of expand upon some of the islands, add little uh, outlier islands between, you know, where the other, uh, you know, major islands are and stuff like that. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that could be kind of cool. Uh, And it's just, it's so big and there's so much to kind of work with there. I think that would work really well. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there's a lot of character in Twilight Princess's world. Um, Yeah. Because you're like going from this rural farm town up to this big hustling, bustling city uh, over to Goron Village. And every kind of locale seems very unique in that game specifically. Um, and then, you know, you go up to the Hebrew Mountains. Or not the Hebrew Mountains. Hebrews in Breath of the Wild. What are they called? Snow Peak. Snow Peak Mountains. Um, and you go through the ruined mansion there, and there's yetis living there. Okay, that's kind of cool. You know, every little thing, I feel like, has some amount of character to it. And there's a lot you could do with that. Uh, also, maybe with the Twilight Realm involved, Uh, which is Mm going to go to my last point because that point would be even expounded upon if instead of the Twilight Realm you had a whole extra world to go with, like the Dark World. So going a link to the past or a link between worlds, something like that, where you've got these two worlds to kind of mesh together. I think some of the Mm -hmm. most interesting puzzles in the Zelda series are where you're kind of having to go back and forth between the light and dark Um and, yeah, I think that would be one of the coolest ones. Probably A Link to the Past. I I just like that game better than A Link Between Me <laughs> personally. Uh, so I would go with that one. Um, just kind of, you know, there's... It's got a lot of the same kind of things. It's got a lot of that same character. Maybe not quite as much as Twilight Princess, just because Twilight Princess was able to utilize, you know, a much larger scale of that yeah. of those kind of elements but I feel like Link to the Past also had all of those elements even if it's on a smaller scale but it had twice as many of them because it had two worlds <clears throat> fucking love that
1: game I can tell
0: yeah I mean what's not to like about Link to the Past
1: uh, it's not a link between worlds oh them's fighting words
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care. Um I like I like you know every Zelda game except for Zelda 2. So, you know, as long as long as, long right. as, we, as, long as we got that. <laughs> Alright. So actually our table topic um was not quite what you expected. Um our table topic, I thought we would make a story and a basic dungeon layout for a one shot. Dungeons and Dragons adventure themed around St. Patrick's Day
1: Oh, interesting
0: Okay, so uh, I thought we'd maybe go back and forth and just shoot ideas off each other and then if anybody ever wants to write these down and use it as a one shot or actually I might do this later like, you know, when I'm sober come back and listen and take notes because I was thinking about taking notes but now I'm like two shots of tequila and a beer in, I'm like, no, I'm not fucking taking notes, I'm just going to talk about <laughs> That's good
1: beer. Um, Halflings are druids. One of them's got to do, like, the main race.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. What would be the dungeon base?
0: I don't know. I was thinking, like, St. Patrick's Day, it's got to be, like, you've got to have a pretty good Irish theme, so you obviously got to start in a pub, because that's also, you know, that big staple of... Uh D. And uh mm. and then I was thinking like everybody comes into the pub on a St. Patrick's Day for the party, but like somebody's made off with all the beer. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> the scoundrels. So then you've gotta like maybe do some detective work in the pub and the surrounding town to find out who stole the beer and where they went.
1: Well, we gotta add some steaks to it, because, like...
0: Yeah, beer goes really well, well with May. steak. Well... See what I did there? Add a, someone added a laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, I think it'd be a good way to start the campaign if you, like, have the group there, have the pub, like, have the party going on, and all of a sudden blackout, and there's a big commotion, and then it comes back up, and all the stuff is gone.
0: I love it. Just like how did they take four, you know, ten foot. Unless oh, you're gonna tire
1: wall of barrels.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like how do they even do that? <laughs> it's so I guess it's gotta be some kind of mage is the enemy. Uh, but we'll mm-hmm. get to that later. So how do they first track down uh where the barrels went and who could have stolen them? Well, we gotta have one of our little people. Right. Be it
1: the halflinger the druid be like, I know where your stuff went.
0: Hmm. Just random McGuffin NPC to <laughs> give you the quest. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Depends good. on how
1: much it's worth, show you?
0: Ooh. Uh well, how about I'll save the beer and then you get to drink some beer today? How about you give me your lucky charms? Um <laughs> hmm. <laughs> pulls out a box of cereal. Oh, fuck, it's Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Hopefully General Mills won't sue us on this podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I think General Mills owns both those cereals, but I'm not sure. I think so.
1: <laughs> We're not sponsored.
0: <laughs> nope. My sponsor is however drunk I am. <laughs> or so (laughs) anyways so you trade him Uh, your um, lucky charms for the information what does he say
1: (laughs) uh that's a good question how do you how do you point us in the right direction
0: I don't know it depends how is this particular character related to the person how does this little halfling druid know who stole the beer is he, like, in, think, in cahoots with him, or did he hear about the plan beforehand, or what's going on with that? Well, so we established it was done
1: through magic. Yeah. Because that's a lot of barrel system.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: maybe he just has, like, a natural affinity for magic, so he can tell that there was some magic shenanigans going.
0: Okay, but then what if the uh, party has a wizard in it? Then they don't even need this guy? No, that's fair.
1: But they wouldn't know where to go. That's true. They wouldn't know where to start. You know,
0: they'd be like, okay, he used some kind of teleport spell. Uh, mm. I guess this one shot could be kind of at the level where they'd be able to identify the spell, but maybe not where the spell ended up teleporting the stuff to. Um, right. Like a they might be five. able to still deduce with some sort of divination, depending on the party makeup. But, you know, they'll figure out where to go through the divination, I guess. Or... So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not that mad about it because they could figure out multiple ways. They could go through trading their cojones to this halfling, or they could, you know, call upon their uh, scrying magic. Y- you know, either way, I'm like, okay, y- y- you get around the puzzle. Sure, it's fine.
1: Right. We, we get a sense of direction.
0: Right. So. So. Who teleported the barrels away?
1: That's a good question.
0: Why would he need that much beer?
1: Well, clearly it's got to be someone who was shunned from the village and their festivities. So he was jealous and wants all the beer for himself to have his own St. Patrick's Day
0: thing. Okay. That's not a bad idea. I was thinking maybe he like stole the beer for like some sort of like cult ritual that he's going to (laughs) like summon a demon or something to eat the town. The demon St. Patrick. (laughs) Yeah, like the inverted St. Patrick. St. Kitrap. (laughs) (laughs) Kitrap. He summons St. Kitrap, who's got, like, his beard is, like, he doesn't have a beard. He's just got, like, this crazy, like, straight-up hairdo that looks like a beard. And he wears an inverted cross.
1: His weapons are giant barrels that he smashes things with.
0: Yeah, and he drove all the snakes back into Ireland, so he, like, throws snakes at people. So that's going to be, like, the endgame boss. If, like, the party fails to disrupt the ritual, then they're going to have to fight St. Kittrap, St. Patrick's evil twin brother. (laughs) So
1: we're going with evil wizards then, I'm guessing. Um...
0: Yeah, I'll, it's like a cultist group. Yeah, some kind of cultist group, uh, but they could have some other kind of cronies in their ranks as well, because they could also yeah, be paying off like a bunch of orc bruisers just by being like, "Yeah, we're stealing thirty barrels of beer, but we only need twenty-five, so you guys help us and you get more beer." And that orcs works. Will be like, "We smash, we get beer." That that <laughs> great. Me <laughs> <beer>. <laughs> That's what we I was going to do get anyway. <laughs> Right, I'll smash to that. <laughs> Another one of the potential podcast names I was actually toying around with was uh, the Super Smashed Brothers. Yeah. Um, or the Hammered Brothers.
1: Any of those would have been good, but yeah. this one is a yeah. reference.
0: I, I like Back to the Past. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because Zelda.
0: Mm-hmm. That works out pretty well. Um, so, uh, they've got a vague idea about the cultists. Where are the cultists? Are they in town, or are they, like, on the outskirts of town mm-hmm. in a mage tower for no reason because that's where cultists always are? Or are they in some sort of mysterious other place? I wouldn't think they'd be underneath the town, because they wouldn't be very far away. Aha. Uh-huh. Then they wouldn't need a... Ter- Actually, if they were underneath the town, then they wouldn't necessarily need magic in order to steal the barrels, because they could have constructed a trap door to drop all the barrels right into their stronghold.
1: Maybe.
0: Ooh, the plot thickens.
1: Maybe you just, when you, when you tip off the halfling, he's like, so, what can you tell us about it? That's the trap door right there.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure that was really worth my balls, but, you know. <laughs> So, you trade your nuts to the halfling, you go into the thing, and then I guess they're probably like rolling out the barrels into the next room if you do, if you go that way. But if you, maybe if you do a little more detective work instead of cutting off your balls, then you have to go in the front door or something and uh, maybe sneak past the guards or fight them out or something like that.
1: Maybe. Mm -hmm. There's
0: a lot of. I kind of like this adventure already, actually, because there's a lot of potential for, like, the players just going a totally different way than you expect. There's definitely going
1: to be, like, multiple entrances, um, but Mm. also, like, a sense of time constraint. Yeah. Like, if they don't get there fast enough, then he gets summoned.
0: Yeah. And then you have to fight St. Kitrap instead of just the cultist leader. The cultist leader gets extra powerful if St. Kitrap is summoned, maybe. Or maybe St. Kitrap is a a dick and he just, like, fucking kills the cultist guy and he's like, ha, you dumbass, you shouldn't have brought me back. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I feel like cultists never get comeuppance like that, but I feel like they should from all the, you know crazy-ass evil gods and devilish creatures they summon. It's like, we summon all this, and, and and it just, like, obeys you? Why does it do that? It's like 80 billion times more powerful than you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I usually don't too much, but every now and then I'm just like, hold on a minute.
1: No one can control the unbridled drunkenness of St. Kittrap. Right. <laughs>
0: All right, so the dungeon, uh, once you're kind of in there, whether you go in the front door or maybe there's like a front door and a back door, and then they're like in different parts of the town or something, and then, of course, the trap door here, so maybe for a potential three entrances, that could be kind of cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely got to be traps, like robust the orcs, and maybe some magical traps by the cultists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would so be kind of cool. They would start out like somewhat obvious, just so the players know, like, oh, there's going to be some traps here, and then they get progressively more dangerous and slight. Hmm.
0: Right. Um, so you go through the dungeon. So uh, what kind of design should the dungeon have? I was thinking maybe if we're going with this multiple entrance kind of thing, then maybe there's, like, Multiple keys you have to collect or something to open the final boss door, uh, that are kind of close to whichever entrance. Like one of them is close to the front entrance, and one's close to the back, and one's close to the trap door or something. Yeah, uh, that might and, be like, kind of interesting. So you kind of got to explore a little more, uh, which is a little railroady. But uh, I feel like players usually go for that because they like exploring a lot of content in dungeons. That's generally my yeah. take on it as a DM.
1: Um, I think it would be a nice touch to add. Like, each of the keys is being held by some stronger important figure. So you uh-huh. gotta try and either steal it or take it by force.
0: Right. Actually, that could be interesting to put in some of the townsfolk that you didn't know were secretly working for the cult.
1: Like, yeah, one of them. That's was how they knew the, about
0: the party. Yeah, like, one of them is the barkeep. Uh, or something, and that's how they ended up managing to build the trap door right under the pub uh, was because the barkeep was working with them to secretly do all this building in his basement and dig out tunnels to make this uh, secret lair to summon uh, St. Kitrap.
1: And then he could take advantage of the insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. There's his motivation. Perfect.
0: Yeah, uh, so then I guess the other two might be, like, depending on where they are, like, I guess maybe one of them could be, like, one of the entrances could be in the church. So it's, like, mm. the Church of St. Patrick, but one of them feels like he's been shunned by St. Patrick because he's, like, uh, uh, one of those, like, uh, half-snake guys uh, in d and D. I'm trying to think of what they're called. Um, there's a name for him. But uh, you know the guys yes, I'm talking yes. about? They're like, uh, yeah, it's like a centaur almost, but like the bottom half is a snake with just a humanish body coming out of it and then the head of a snake. Um, what? Like Naga folk? No. Yeah. Never heard of them. Okay, yeah. They're not a <laughs> hugely popular enemy. Um, there was a large area in a video game for original Xbox called Dungeons & Dragons Heroes that was kind of centered all around these people. Uh, And it was pretty cool. I've always, like, kind of digged their design. Uh, I think they're pretty badass. Uh, So maybe he's, like, this snake guy, and he's just angry at St. Patrick for driving all his relatives out of Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) That would work. So he helps the cultists. Um, And
1: then one of the entrances had to be, like, outside the town like an emergency exit type of thing.
0: Okay.
1: And one of the keys has to be held by like an orc chieftain or a cultist or something. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Like this orc is just like paid off in beer. That's his motivation. So like if you just offer him a keg, he'll just trade you the key with no fight. But like most (laughs) player parties will never think of that. So they'll be like, give me the key. And he'll be like, no, I am orc. I smash you and drink beer. And they'll be like, okay, we'll fight. But, like, or, have that like, secret extra way to fix solve the puzzle instead, maybe? Or go ahead. Or if,
1: if they wait, like, have him fall asleep, they can try to sneak it off them but it's like a really hard sleight of hand handshake. And if you fail, then it triggers a fight.
0: Right, he's just, like, wearing the key as a nose ring. <laughs> so you have to... <laughs> You have to disable his piercing without him noticing. (laughs) I'm just imagining him with the key just stuck straight through his nose. (laughs) Uh, Uh Orcs are weird, man. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) Apparently. Okay, so we've got our three kind of mini-bosses. Uh, what should the – after you get the three keys, you get to the main cultist. Uh, what should he be like?
1: Um, definitely crazy. Maybe a little schizophrenic.
0: Okay.
1: Because, I mean, he's a cultist and he's summoning this ancient demon of drunkenness.
0: Mm-hmm. He's probably so like he, he, drunk 24-7 himself. Oh, what if he's like yeah. part uh, mage and part drunken master? So he's like, uh, like drinking, uh, booze and then spitting it on you and then casting fireball to do extra damage because you're covered in booze. That would be creative. Mm.
1: Um, (laughs) I almost kind of want to like for his attacks, like roll a die to decide what move he makes.
0: I actually made so a... he uh, doesn't
1: know what he's going to do.
0: That's hilarious, actually. I actually kind of made a guy like that one time that, um, like, these guys came into this uh, kitchen area, right? And the, the boss of... This was one of the mini-bosses of the dungeon. And he's, like, uh, the chef for this... Uh, the bad guy that they're trying to find but the chef is like a zombie uh-huh. and, he, and so he's a zombie chef and everything I built about him is like that so I literally had like a random table of attacks for him to use and so based on what I rolled on the table he would like grab a knife block and throw like 1d6 different knives at, the, at one person <laughs> and then the knife block itself for an extra like d12 of damage (laughs) or he could like grab a deep fryer basket and just uh, soak you in hot fryer grease or hit you with a frying pan or throw random meat at you which would make his minion zombies attack you because you smelled like meat And, (laughs) and he had all sorts of funny ass attacks like that so i think that would be a really cool thing uh for this drunken guy too
1: side note I really want to make a playable like sorcerer or something who uses wild magic and just anytime I attack do that. Like I got to roll for whatever my attack is.
0: Uh, Chris actually, who's usually here, has a homebrew class he calls Chaos Knight that kind of has something like that. Uh, where it's like <laughs> he uses different kind of magics like that and it has random chances of like fucking up and doing weird unexpected shit. And one of his primary attacks is his Chaos Bolt. Uh, Which literally you roll a d8 and it has chances of doing variable different amounts of damage. And it can do like insane damage or it can do like minimal damage or it can actually Uh. heal your enemy. (laughs) So it's like it's the epitome of chaos. It's a hilarious class. I've seen him play it once or twice in different campaigns we've done. It's pretty fun. (laughs) I dig it. Yeah. All right. Um... So now we've got a vague outline of the dungeon, three mini-bosses, maybe three and a half mini-bosses. Well, I guess you could count the last one as either a boss or a mini-boss, depending on how you look at it. Because if you don't get through him, yeah, if you don't get to him quick enough, or maybe, like, part of the time he's, like, chanting while he's uh, fighting you guys, so, like, after combat starts, if you don't kill him within, like, Three or four rounds, then he finishes his incantation and summons. Uh, yeah. Kitrap. <coughs> so then, uh, yeah, what, like, what kind of fighting style should Saint Kitrap have?
1: Um. It's definitely got to be like chaotic and destructive. hmm I don't even think he necessarily has to have like magic. Like, obviously he's got some inherent magic because he's a a demon, but... Yeah. I think Uh, more so just like... Yeah, kind of
0: actually being an anti, uh, like, the opposite of St. Patrick. That would kind of make sense because St. Patrick was, you know, known for his wisdom and saintliness and, uh, you know, used the holy power of God to banish the snakes away and lock away the last dragon uh according to the legend how that goes um so kind of having the opposite of that could be like no huge magic abilities except for the ones that just buff his strength and stuff so he could just be a raw fucking tank that might be kind of cool uh what kind of weapons would he use just fucking throw cakes Uh, he just throws cakes And yeah, and if he's like, that would be a hilarious combo if he's there while the last cultist dude is there because then he just throws a keg at your whole party and you all take damage from the splintering wood and then you're all soaked in booze for the guy's fireball. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be deadly. That's an awesome battle. I fucking want to do it.
1: <laughs> it's so mean, I love it.
0: Yeah. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else we want to add to this one shot? Um, not that I can think of. There's got to be three orcs. I don't know. What do we need? In the bar playing darts. Because that is a random ass thing that I absolutely always put in every single one of my pubs for no good reason.
1: Dude, is it? There it goes. My. My roommates are having fun out there.
0: Oh, those jerks! Yeah, he's. I was hearing that. I was wondering. I was like, "Are you like whimpering in the mic?" It sounds kind no, of weird because it's like far away. I'm no, like,
1: no, 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 no. The audio cut out from you again, uh, so I couldn't hear anything. But yeah, they're out there playing Modern Warfare. Uh-huh. So I'll have to find out what the hell just happened.
0: all right um so is there anything final you want to say for our one shot
1: not that i can think of
0: all right then i think that basically brings us to the end of the podcast so woohoo, we made it uh so yeah thanks for coming on again crow uh shill your shit
1: uh well i was talking about it earlier but i have a youtube channel just called krober uh i'm working on a bunch of theories and videos and mostly zelda stuff it'll be fun I do also plan to start streaming now and again. I haven't decided
0: on the day. Yeah. We should but, you get the TriCast yeah, up yeah. and running again one of these days, too.
1: Yes, yes, I know. i got to figure out my <laughs> scheduling.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: speaking of podcasts, this is interesting okay. for you. Oh, yeah? Uh, I am coming to Colorado to visit on the first week of April. All so right. if you will have me, yeah, I definitely. can do my first Drink to the past in person.
0: Yeah, a live drink to the past uh, with Crow. That'd be great. Uh, I'll give you a beer and everything. Cool. I'll let you know the exact dates when I actually get the plane ticket spot. All right. As long as they're not, you know, locked down by coronavirus or some shit, I guess that'd be... (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's kind of the issue right now. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll see how it goes and wing it. And, you know, worst case scenario, I'll drink a beer without you. Yeah. So... I'd rather drink a beer with you. That'd be fun.
1: Drink one of my memory.
0: All right. I'll drink to that. <laughs> and as always, I am your host, Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. Um, I, you can find me here on Drink to the Past. Uh, we are on Podbean and iTunes. So if you're listening on one of those services and you would prefer the other, then go check us out. Uh, leave a review on iTunes if you don't mind. Uh, I don't know if that really does much uh when you're as small as us uh i think it would help more if you actually would just like push the share button and be like hey people listen to this guy's podcast it's hilarious or stupid yeah. or however you want to describe us but like if All we're you're stupid both. we're probably the right kind of stupid because like if you've listened this long we must be your kind of stupid <laughs> uh <laughs> I also write articles and uh, blog posts for Two Guys Playing Zelda and Two Guys Playing Zelda Gaming. Uh, so look up them at twoguysplayingzelda.com. Zelda uh, com. You can also find them on uh, Two Guys Playing Z- at Two Guys Playing Zelda or at tgpzgaming on uh, Twitter. Uh, there's all sorts of different stuff that uh, is on the TGPZ gaming Twitter uh, lately. Um, there's just kind of different. Uh, the articles that we've been posting my last one was a review of a little game called blasphemous uh which is a really cool kind of combo indie game of uh, it's like dark souls meets castlevania so if you like either of those series then you would definitely like this game um so check mm-hmm. out my uh, little review there um and be looking forward to my next piece which is actually going to be of all things a review of captain toad treasure tracker never saw that coming. hey out i know that Man. game yeah, it's a good game. Um and um yeah, the other t- main two guys playing Zelda site is all dedicated to Zelda. So I've got a lot of different things up there. I've got a m- review of the every different Zelda game. I've got several different top 5 lists and various things like that. And uh the last thing I posted on there was actually uh what I think they should do with a Skyward Sword remake, which is if you want a Skyward Sword remake, my article is probably going to start a fight with you. So, uh, be warned. But, uh, you know, I, I got my opinions and I will drink to all of them. So, it just do dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're interested on a fight, you can always hit me up and at mano Spam on Twitter. I am always looking for a discussion or a flame war, whichever one you want. So... And that brings us to the end of the podcast today, so thank you for joining us, and now is the part of the show where we just keep talking until we think of something stupid enough to say that is, like, really awkward or something that sounds hilarious to cut off the podcast at. So, uh, yeah. What you been playing lately, bro?
1: Have you ever thought about how, um, suspenders are, like, kind of pants and shirts at the same time?
0: I have not. I have a pair of suspenders that I got because my mom gave me a random pair of green suspenders with, like, shamrocks on them. And I was thinking maybe I'd wear them at some point for uh, St. Patrick's Day, but I can't think of what the hell I would wear them with. Because most of the time when I'm wearing, like, St. Patrick's Day stuff, I'm like, I already got a green kilt and a green shirt. And I'm like, how would I fit suspenders into this? Like, it would just look stupid.
1: I mean, isn't that the point? They look stupid to begin
0: with. Right, yeah, suspenders are weird. It's a diet, you and it's hard. Yeah, they're, like, less useful than a belt in every way. Yeah. And plus, like, if you have, like, the kind of job where you're moving around a lot and, like, flexing, you know, and moving your hips from side to side occasionally, then, like, if one of those, like, just snaps off, it's going to, like, fucking snap you right in the eye.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if you do it right, then it could lead into a sexy porno. Ooh, hmm. never thought
0: about that. <laughs> Perfect for St. Patty's Day, right? So, what if I came into the room wearing nothing but suspenders?
1: Do you have booze?
0: I always have booze.
1: Well, then it's a party.